Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we thank you that you're such a great and a wonderful God. We thank you, Lord, that we can look into a book written thousands of years ago, and we still see a very clear picture of our Savior. Lord, I just ask, Father God, our hearts would be receptive to hear from your word, that we'd be attentive, Lord, that you would be our teacher, not man. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, we've been looking at the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. And you know what? For, again, I've said this before, that for most people, these are chapters that a lot of people, if they're just teaching randomly through the Bible, they're going to skip over it. And the reason is that it's, you know, it looks like they're, they're making tents and they're furnishing the, the tabernacle. And from the world's perspective, if you don't take a close look at it, it doesn't look like anything all that interesting. But you know what? Everything that is in the Bible is in there for a reason. Not one word, not one dash, not even the spaces between the letters. Everything is there, is there or foreordained by God. And if it's there, we need to know why. Amen? And we need to know how it impacts our lives today. And so let me encourage you with this, that, that as we look at the tabernacle, just remember that everything in the Old Testament points to a truth that is revealed in the New Testament. And we've been looking at the, the tabernacle itself, and just remember that it talks about how that, that each of those furnishings pictures Jesus. Now, as you would walk into the tabernacle, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but when you walk into the tabernacle, the first thing you would see as you walk into this, this tabernacle made of tents, not much bigger than this room, and as you would walk into it, the first thing you would see is the altar of burnt incense. And we talked about the, 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 this altar of burnt offerings is a picture of the cross. And why is it? Because it's the place where they made sacrifice unto the Lord. And it was there that their sins were cleansed, pointing to, to the coming of the Messiah. Then after they would go past the altar of burnt offering, they would come to the bronze laver. It looked like a big tub. And they would reach in and cleanse their hands there. And that's a picture of the fact that once, the, for the shedding of blood, the remission of sins, then and only then can we be cleansed. Then you would go beyond that and enter into that holy place, and there there was a golden lampstand which is a picture again of Jesus Christ in that He is the light of the world. There's also there a table of showbread, which tells us that it's He that is our provider. Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. And also that He is the bread of life. It's only through Him that we can sustain life. Then beyond that was the altar of incense, where they burnt incense unto the Lord. And that was a place, a picture of prayer. And then they would go through that final veil. And we know that it says in Hebrews that the veil is what? Who remembers? It's His flesh. And we know that looking at the veil, that it was made of blue, a picture of deity, made of purple, a picture of royalty, made of scarlet, a picture of sacrifice, and then it had a white fine linen in it, which is a picture of His righteousness, and then there were angels woven into it, and it was a picture, again, of His deity, or the fact that He's from the heavenlies. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, as we saw Sunday morning, that that veil was torn. And when that veil, when His flesh was torn, the veil was torn, and man could enter into that most holy place. When you got into the Holy of Holies, there was only one piece of furniture there, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. We know that the Ark of the Covenant, again, a picture of our Savior, in that it had the cherubim on top of it, picture of the heavenlies. It was made of pure gold. Inside it had three items. It had the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. We remember how the, the made of stone, in fact, that Jesus Christ is referred to as the rock and the stone cut without hands in the book of Daniel. We know that on those stones were written words by the finger of God Himself. And we know that Jesus Christ is referred to as the Word. We know also in there was Aaron's rod, a picture of the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. And then lastly was manna, a picture of the fact that God provides. So when you went to the tabernacle and you look at it clearly today, it's such a clear picture of the Messiah that the world's been waiting for. And of course, the Messiah is Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go into detail again, but we talked about how the, the different layers on the tabernacle, the bottom layer being of the same uh, composition, 
as the veil. Again, a picture of Christ. On top of that was a black layer of, of goat's hair, a picture of sin. Then on top of that was a layer of, of dyed ram skins. And they were, they were red. Picture of the fact that Jesus has shed blood. And then on top of that were badger skins. And the reason all this is significant is, again, underneath it was the deity, the perfection of our God. Then there was the sin of mankind that separated us from God. Then there was the red, which is a picture of his sacrifice on the cross. But on top of that were badger skins that were very ugly. They were nothing to behold. And we know the Bible says that Jesus was nothing to behold. He was a very common-looking man. But as you saw on the inside, you would see his deity. And so was true in the temple or the tabernacle. When they walked in on the inside, they saw the beauty of who our, our Savior is on the inside. Then last week, we looked at the clothing of the priest. And again, garments that most people wouldn't look at in great detail. But the priestly garments all pointed to Jesus. The, the high priest in that day was a picture of the great high priest. And the great high priest, of course, is Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So the high priest is Jesus. And so when you look at the high priest in the Old Testament, you have to say, now wait a minute, this is a picture of Jesus Christ. So I need to look closely to see my Savior in there. And here's the thing that we saw. First of all, we saw that the first item described was an ephod, which is like an apron. And the ephod was put on as a picture of authority. Anybody who wore an ephod in those days, it was a sign of authority or distinction. Well, we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. Underneath that, I talked about the fact that he had a belt that he wore to gird up his loins, the high priest. And we know that Jesus wore this very same word when he went and washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. It's a picture of being a servant. So not only is Jesus the ultimate authority, but he's also the ultimate servant. And those two go hand in hand. We then saw the breastplate last week. And remember the 12 different stones in the breastplate, representing the 12 different tribes of Israel. And representing the fact that on his heart is compassion for his people. Our God is a God of grace and a God of compassion. We then saw a blue robe of deity that went underneath it and then a white robe of righteousness. We saw that there were bells and pomegranates that were tied to the end of this robe. And remember how we talked about the fact that these bells allowed the people who could not see the high priest to hear him. They knew he was busy about ministry even though they couldn't see him. And in some ways that's true today. That though we don't see our Savior in the flesh, we see the fruit of his ministry. Amen? And we talked about the fact that the pomegranate is the most fruit-bearing fruit that there is. It's nothing but seeds, and it bears incredible fruit. We then saw that the the high priest also wore a a turban, a picture of submission and holiness. And lastly, he he wore trousers that covered up the underneath part that nobody else saw. And it was a picture of character. As Christians, so often we make the mistake of being worried about reputation when we ought to be worried about character. Reputation is what we are on the outside. It's what men see. Character is who we are in the place that only God sees. Who are we when no one else is watching? That's character. So we see authority, servanthood, compassion, carrying of burdens, deity, righteousness, bearing great fruit, submission, holiness, and character. All of that in the garments of the priest. And who's that a picture of? Only one man, and it's Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to look at being ordained for ministry. And we're going to see how these high priests are called out by God and he has these rituals that they go through to ordain them or to call them out to use them for ministry. Being involved in ministry, I want to say this, it is the greatest joy there is. You know why? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. It's not going to matter how much money we have in our 401k plan when we get to heaven. 
Amen? It's not going to matter how big our house was or, or what our handicap was on the, on the golf course. And, you know, and again, those things aren't necessarily wrong, but the reality is that we can't put anything above God. And serving Him is serving something that's eternal. May God stamp eternity on our eyes. In Mark 4 it says this, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to whom you hear it, more will be given. For whoever has more will be given. But for whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You know what? When God gives us his truth, the more we share it with others, the greater it will return to us. You know, the number one place that I grow in my own walk is my intimate time with the Lord. We're going to talk about that later. But also when I minister to others. When you minister to other people, you're going to grow. Because you're going to take what God has revealed to you, and as you're ministering to other people, the Lord's going to pour it right back upon you in a greater way. Now, I want to say this. A shepherd is not impressed if the sheep go out and eat this beautiful lush green grass, and they come back and puke it all up at the, she- at the shepherd's feet. Right? He's not going to be real impressed with that. Right? But at the same time, as Christians, we make the mistake of thinking, I'm going to go in and I'm going to feed, and I'm going to feed and feed and feed on this great stuff, and I'm going to be the biggest and fattest sheep around, and I'm just going to go back and impress my pastor or the other people in my church with my Bible knowledge. And the reality is, God doesn't want you to be fed so you can just go and you know, regurgitate it back on the pastor's feet or someone else in the church. Why, why does he feed the sheep? So that the sheep might grow wool, and that the sheep might give milk. He ministers to the sheep that the sheep might produce fruit and minister to others. The Bible says a pastor's job is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so guess what? What does wool do? It warms others. It ministers to others. What does milk do? It nourishes others. So as we take in the word, it's so that we might minister it to others. It's not just so we can be the greatest Bible scholars around and walk around and brag about how much we know about, you know, play Bible trivia and do that kind of thing. God wants us to take it and use it. Amen? And so we're going to see that tonight, that he's calling people out. He doesn't want us just to learn the word of God, but he wants us to use it in ministering to the lives of others. The more you minister to others, the more you're going to grow. So here's the three things we're going to see tonight as we observe the Old Testament ritual of consecration. We're going to see who is called. If you're here tonight, you might be saying, am I called? We're going to answer that question tonight. We're going to see how those that are called are empowered to do ministry. And then thirdly, we're going to see how those who are called are to respond to the calling that God's placed on their life. So let's begin looking at verse 1, and we're going to look and see who is it that's called. Verse 1 of chapter 29 of Exodus. And this is what you shall do to them, who ha- to, them to hallow them for ministering to me as priest. Now, the first thing you must do is it says you must hallow them to minister to me as priest. The word, now remember, the, the priests are Aaron and his sons. We're going to see more of that in just a minute. And he says, I want you to set them apart. The word hallow there means to consecrate, to set apart, to give them the specific calling in their lives. And here's how you are to hallow them or to set them apart. And I love this part. It says, to minister to me. The number one thing that we're called to do before we minister to others is to minister to the Lord. We need to be ministering to the Lord so that we might minister for the Lord. Amen? So often we think we've got to go out and do all these things, but we need to be ministering to the Lord. We need to be sitting at His feet. We need to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And as we have that intimacy with Him, we're going to be contagious to the world around us. Amen? You can't take people to a place you've never been yourself. You know, if you're near to Him and walking close with Him and you have an intimate, personal relationship with Him, you can take people there. 
But if you don't spend time in His presence, you won't be able to minister to others. It says there, take one young bull and two rams without blemish. We've talked about this before. Why without blemish? Because it's a picture. These animals are a picture of the coming Messiah, and the coming Messiah must be without sin. And so any animal that was sacrificed had to be perfect. And we talked about this on Sunday mornings, how when Passover came, they would bring the Passover lamb into their home, and it would be inspected there for five days before they would sacrifice it. And the reason was they wanted to make sure it wasn't sick, they wanted to make sure it, that it was perfect, it was without blemish. Only then could they sacrifice it. And it's interesting that when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Passion Week, that they examined Him for five days before He, the Lamb of God, went to the cross. So everything we see in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament, and it's a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. So without blemish, pointing to the sinless perfection of our Savior. Verse 2, And unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, Unleavened wafers anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. Now, what is unleavened? What is leaven a picture of in the Bible? Sin. So unleavened would be without sin. Now, notice the number of the different items we have here. Unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, and unleavened wafers. How many do we have? We have three. But they're all made of the same substance. They're all made of the wheat flour. So we have three different items, but all made of the same substance. What's that a picture of? It's a trinity. We've got one God manifest in three persons. Amen? And so here we have unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, and unleavened wafers, all made of the same wheat flour, a picture of the trinity. Very clearly, right here in the Old Testament. I love that. Now, the oil in the Bible is always a representation of what? Who knows? Holy Spirit. When you see oil in Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit. And so like when we anoint people with oil for healing, we're not, again, not that the oil is magic. We're just saying that we believe that the Holy Spirit can come and touch and transform somebody's life. That's the God that we serve. Verse 3. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with, with the bull and the two rams. So again, here we have three animals all in one basket. Now who's called? Let me answer the question for you in the next verse. Who's called to ministry? How do you know if you're called? Let's take a look at this verse, verse 4. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Now, how did they equate calling in those days? How was somebody called to be the priest? There was only one way. You had to be called by birth. Aaron was called to be the high priest, and only his sons and his grandsons and great-grandsons, until later when the Levites would become the priestly line, they were the only ones who were called. So they knew if they were called to be a priest, if they were born of the seed of Aaron. So how do we know today if we've been called? If they're called through birth, how are we called? We are called through rebirth. Amen? The Bible says that barely, barely I say to you, you must be born again. That which is born of water is water, and that which is born of flesh is flesh. You must be born again. Now, we've all been born of the flesh. That's physical birth. But guess what? We need to be born of the Spirit, too. Amen? We need to be born not just of the water or of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And so here's what's awesome. If you've been born again, you've been called. Wait a minute, Pastor Dave. And that means all Christians are called. That's right. 
God didn't call you to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't call you to be big fat sheep. He called you to use you. So if you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to know you've been called by God. You've been called to be used for His kingdom, to be used for His glory. It says this in Revelation. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, He has made us kings and priests to God our Father. So what have we been called to be as we are called to be kings and priests. So wait a minute, are you telling me that I'm a priest? The answer is yes. Now what does a priest do? We only have one great high priest, right? Amen? That's why we don't need priests in the church anymore. We don't need them. Why? There's only one who intercedes between sinful man and holy God, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't have to go to a man and confess your sins in a box and have him tell you what you need to do to get forgiven. The price was paid when he said, it is finished. Amen? And the price is paid. And so we only have one intercessor. You don't have to come to Pastor Dave. You don't have to come to a priest. You don't have to go to the Pope. You don't have to go to anybody. We have one intercessor. But what does a priest do? Because the Bible talks about men being the priests in their household, doesn't it? It talks about that. And doesn't it say right here in Revelation that we're called to be kings and priests? So what does a priest do? A priest does two things. He represents man to God, and he represents God to man. And isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? The answer is yes. We represent God to man, and we represent man to God. How do we represent man to God? We pray for people we work with. We pray for people in our office. We go before the Lord and we intercede on behalf of people who don't know God. So we're representing man to God. We're coming before the Lord and we're interceding on their behalf. We're praying for people and we're serving them. But then, how do we represent God to man? We are called to be in His image. Christian. What does that mean? It means Christ-like. A representation of Christ. So we represent God to man by showing them the love of God, ministering to them, revealing to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's Word. So that's what a priest does. So guess what? You're all called, and you're all called by God to represent and be priests much like Aaron's sons were. And you're called not by birth, but by rebirth. You've been born again, because, and God wants to use you. So as you're called, Aaron was the high priest, his sons were priests by birth. Jesus is the great high priest, and we are his sons by rebirth. What an awesome blessing that we get to do ministry. Ministry ought to always be a get-to and not a have-to. So I've been born again. You've been called by God. You've been called to both the salvation and to ministry. So the first place he brings them there in verse 4, shall bring them to the door of the tabernacle. Remember in John chapter 10 that Jesus said, I am the door. The door of the sheepfold. Remember that the door of the tabernacle was made of the very same material that the veil that went into the Holy of Holies was made of. In Hebrews it says that the veil is the flesh of Christ. So they bring them to the door. That's the first place they go. Before someone can be consecrated to ministry, the first thing that must happen is they must be saved. Amen? And you know what it says in John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way that men can be saved except in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? No other way. You can't get saved through Muhammad. You can't get saved through, through the Mormon church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or anybody else that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ alone. Nobody else suffered and died on the cross for us. Nobody else rose from the dead on the third day. Nobody else created the universe. Amen? So only through Him can we be saved. And so He says, they brought Him to the door. 
And remember that the tabernacle only had one entrance. Again, pointing to the fact there's only one way that we can come to that place of sacrifice. We must enter by the door of Jesus Christ. So he brings them there to the door. And the door, again, only one way in. Then it says, wash them with water. So just as when you come in the door, you see that altar of, of burnt sacrifice, and right behind it the laver, so too as they would come to the door for consecration, then they would be washed. Washing, representation of cleansing. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, and we're born again, what happens? He washes away our sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? And one drop of his blood can pay for all of my sin. And I am cleansed. And it's also a picture of baptism. And I want to say this. We do not need to be baptized to be saved, but we should be baptized because God called us to be baptized. Amen? Because if you say you have to be baptized to be saved, then you're saying that the cross was not enough. You're saying it's the cross plus baptism. But should we be baptized? Absolutely. Why? It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's letting the whole world know, I want to be identified outwardly with Jesus Christ. I want you to be identified with his death, burial, and his resurrection. And that's why we submerge people. That's what Jesus went down into the Jordan River. That's why we baptize with submersion, because that's a picture. Sprinkling is not a picture of the resurrection. It's not a picture. So that's why we baptize the way that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Okay? And so that's a picture of baptism. And so the first thing was they came to the door, and then they were washed. Verse 5 and 6. Then you should take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of ephod. And you should put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on his turban. Now, after salvation, and after being cleansed, the Bible says that we are then clothed in righteousness. So, are you righteous right now? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And so, as these men were called aside to be the the high priest of Israel, the first thing that happened is they went to the door of salvation, then they were cleansed, and now they're being clothed with the priestly garments that we looked at in great detail last week. So, all those things that apply to our Savior that we talked about apply to this high priest, Aaron. And Aaron would come in and with the ephod would have the authority, would have the submission, all the things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Remember again that the tunic was righteousness, the robe was a picture of deity, authority, compassion, etc. And that's what the high priest should have. So both a picture of our great high priest, and then we'll see in a moment also a picture of how we ought to be as children of God. Now one of the things that happens with the great high priest is he, was, he had a little, man, a little sign put on his, the turban on the front, and it says, holiness is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Do you know that as Christians, we are called to be holy? Be holy, for I am holy. The root of that word means to make whole. Now, does that mean, pastor, that we have to do all these good works to somehow be good enough to please God? The answer is no. But as Christians, even though we've been made righteous through His shed blood and we're going to heaven and we're, we've been adopted into His family, as believers, we should follow his words and say, Lord, I believe you and I trust you. You know what? Do you know that God loves you guys? Do you know that he loves you so much that you're always on his mind, that he never stops thinking about you, that he's numbered the hairs on your head, that you are his treasured possession? Now, I'm a sinful man, and I love my kids enough that I want to do what's best for them. How much better does a loving and perfect heavenly father want to do what's best for us? Shouldn't we trust him? And you know what? With holiness, I believe, comes happiness. When you walk in holiness and you walk in the joy of the Lord, 
you know what? You have an eternal perspective, and the world just doesn't matter. It's okay. You get our eyes and keep our eyes on Him. So how, do we, how is it possible for, for us to walk in holiness? How is it possible for us to be a representation of Christ? Look at verse 7. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on His head and anoint Him. The only way it's possible for you and I to walk the godly walk we're called to walk is if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says here, take them, clothe them in the righteousness, put all the, the priestly garments on them, you know, bring them to the door of salvation, take them into the place of baptism or cleansing, then clothe them with righteousness. But you know what? Before they start their priestly duties, you've got to anoint them with oil. Now we've talked about this before. The Holy Spirit, the three prepositions, with, in, and upon. The Holy Spirit in the Bible... It talks about the Holy Spirit in those, with those three prepositions. With. He's with everybody. The world calls the Holy Spirit their conscience. How does an unsafe person know that it's wrong to harm small children? For the most part. Most people know that, right? How do they know that? How do they know that there is any right and any wrong? How do they have any concept of that at all? Apart from the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't. The Holy Spirit is with everybody, but He's right out here. And He's the conscience of the unsaved man. But the good news is that when we're born again, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit goes from being with us to being in us. He's in you. He no longer dwells out here, but He's in you. And now He walks with you, and He talks with you, and He indwells you. So the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you. If He's with you, you're going to spend eternity separated from God. He's drawing you. The Holy Spirit's one that draws us to salvation, but He must be in you. So that means that God, I'm not God, but God lives in me. Amen? I'm, a tabernacle, I'm the, built, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within me. But you know what? The Bible in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, talks about something else. It talks about the Holy Spirit not just being with you or in you, but the Holy Spirit being upon you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the word there is dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall have power. Dunamis. It's where you get the word dynamite or dynamic right? And so you want to have dynamite, you want to have explosive power for the kingdom of God, you want to be glowing in the dark for Jesus, you want to have an impact on this lost and dying world, then you need to have the Holy Spirit not just with you or in you, but upon you. And how do you get the Holy Spirit upon you? You ask. That's what the Bible says. If you ask that the Holy Spirit to be baptized or filled with, whatever you want to call it, just get it, amen? But ask that the Holy Spirit be upon you, God says he'll give it to you. You're asking for a good thing. And so we see here that they clothe them in righteousness, but before they can be busy about the work of the high priest, they must be anointed with the oil, with the representation of the Holy Spirit. So as we're called by God for ministry to be effective, we must be anointed. And notice that they don't anoint themselves. Do you see that? They're not pouring oil on their own head. And there's too many guys on TV talking about how anointed they are. Amen? I'm anointed. I have anoint- my clothes are anointed. My hair is... I'll stop it. You're not anointed. I mean, first of all, if you've got to tell people you're anointed, something's wrong. Amen? The anointing is not so that men will think wonderful things about you, but that God might be glorified through you. Amen? You know, if you see the worldwide ministry and got someone's name after it, just run out of the building as quick as you can. Amen? Because God alone should be glorified. Only Him. But without the Holy Spirit, we can't do it. Ministry will come to nothing. If the Holy Spirit isn't speaking through us, then God, can do, God will not use us for His glory. Verse 8. Then you shall bring His sons and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statue. statue excuse me. 
So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So not only would Aaron be called, but so too are his sons. But notice that his sons don't have the full garments on. What are his sons wearing? They're just wearing the tunics representing righteousness, the sashes of servanthood, and the hats of submission. They they covered their heads and showed they were submitted. This is a picture of us. We are to be wearing tunics of righteousness, because that's what we are through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sashes representing servanthood. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all, the Bible says. And then lastly, we are to be submitted to Him. He's our master. He's our king. He's God. He's in charge, not us. And so we need to trust Him. Verse 10. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So now they're going to go from their, them being consecrated. And notice again that when they were doing all these things, that they did not put the garments on themselves. They stood there and the garments were put upon them. They did not anoint themselves. Someone else anointed them. You know what? It's not the work that we do that equates to God being able to use us. We just need to be still and know that He's God and be clothed in Him and filled with Him and have His Holy Spirit upon us and God will do great and mighty things. It's not how prepared you are. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But notice here it says that they're going to have these animal sacrifices. We're going to see sin offerings, burnt offerings, blood rituals, and finally a wave offering. Now the first one is a sin offering. And it says here that they laid hands on the bull. Now why would they lay hands on a bull before they killed it? The reason that they did is they were showing that the bull was a representation of them. They laid hands on the bull and said, this is me. This is us. This sacrifice is being made on my behalf. I'm laying my hands on it to show that it represents me. And so they laid hands on the bull and they brought the bull in and they killed the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now understand that the blood is a picture of what? Of Christ's blood upon the cross. And the bull is a picture of each one of us. Verse 12. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Now, you know what? The sacrificial system was messy. You know, it was messy. When they made sacrifice, like at Passover, there would be blood flowing in the streets. It was not pretty. When two million people come in and they're making sacrifice for every family, can you imagine, you know, half a million animals being slaughtered, how much blood there would be. And we see here that the horns that were used on the the altar, that were used to tie down the animal that they sacrificed, they were to take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the four horns which represented where they tied the animal down. Now it's interesting that when our Savior was crucified, they didn't tie him, but they nailed him to the cross. So what was there at each one of those points where he was nailed with both his hands and his feet? There was blood there. And that's what this is a picture of. As they were putting blood on the four horns, it was a picture of the fact that our Savior would be nailed to the cross and his blood would be there. Now we also know that on the cross that a great deal of blood was spilled from our Savior. And it says there, take the rest of the blood and pour it out at the side of the altar. It was a bloody mess. And you know what? So was the cross. The cross was, we talked about it on Sunday. We're going through Luke that, man, our Savior died the most horrendous death in the history of all mankind. Because not only did He deal with with physical torture that we can't even begin to understand, but He dealt with spiritual separation as He took the sin of all mankind upon Himself and was separated from the Father. 
So the, the blood was everywhere and it was running. Verse 13, you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. Now this may not sound that appetizing to you, but this was considered the best part of the meat, the fat. Now I don't know about you guys, but when I smell barbecue, I get hungry. How about you? I love the smell of barbecue. And remember we talked about, when we talked about the altar of burnt incense, it looked like a big barbecue. It had these grids on it. And it said there to burn the fat before the Lord. It was a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of God. So that means the Lord likes barbecues. I like that. That's good. Because I like barbecues too. But they would barbecue, basically burn this animal, and the incense went before God. And it was sweet-smelling in His presence. So praise God. You know, that probably didn't go over too well with the vegetarians in Santa Cruz County, but that's okay. The Lord told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Amen? And so... I'm, I'm doing my share because God told me to. I'm just being obedient. Just being obedient to the Lord, having my barbecues. Now, verse 14. But the flesh of the bull with the skin of its offal, you shall burn with fire outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, it's interesting. The part of the same sacrifice, the one part of it was sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of our God, and another part of it was taken outside of the camp and was burnt. Now, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified where? outside of the city gates. And while our Savior's death on the cross was beautiful in that it restored sinful man back to holy God, it was also treacherous and, and just grievous in that the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And I believe we see a picture of that here. The part of it, the fat was burnt as sweet incense unto the Lord, and part of it was taken outside of the gate and was just and was burnt. So part of it was an offering, and part of it, was sent outside. It was grievous. And the same is true of our Savior. Part of it was restoring sinful man back to holy God, but part of it was taking the sin of all mankind upon himself and having to go through horrendous torture. Verse 15. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Again, representation that the ram pictured them. This is a picture of us. They put their hand on the ram. You shall take and kill the ram. You shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. You shall take and cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the second sacrifice, the entire thing was burnt before God. Every bit of it. We're going to see in a minute that there's offerings that where the priests are able to keep part of it as provision. But there's also an offering here where it has to all be given to the Lord. And I believe this is the ultimate beginning of truly understanding what a calling is. It's when you come to the point of realizing, Lord, I don't surrender some, I surrender all. Amen? Jesus, you're not just part of my life. You're not just something I do on Sundays and Wednesdays. You're not just, you know, my get-out-of-hell-free card in my wallet. I know I'm going to heaven, and I'm kind of glad you're there, Lord, but, you know, I want to live my life. Calling makes you get to the point where you realize, Lord, I love you more than anything. You are the most important thing in the world to me. I give you my all. I give you my life. My favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 1.21, which says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And what that means, it doesn't mean Christ is first in my life. It means He's first, He's 50th, He's 100th, He's 1,000th, and He's every number in between. He is the list. He's not just tops on my list. Amen? And it says, For me to live my life is Christ, and to die it only gets better. You know what? For Christians, this is bad as it gets. It's only going to get better. Amen? And if you don't know God, this is as good as it gets. It's going to get a lot worse. But if you know Christ, man, we have so much to look forward to. But we need to come to the point where we say, Lord, I give you my all. 
Why? Because we love him. We want to surrender our lives to him. Let's move on. Verse, 18, verse 19. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, the tip of the right ear of his sons, the thumb of their right hand, the big toe of the right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now, why in the world are they doing this? So, wait a minute. We come in, we're doing all this stuff, and now you're going to take blood and put some blood in my ear and put some blood in my thumb and some blood in my toe. What does that mean? You know what? When we're called by God and we're being set apart to ministry, we're being sanctified by Him, do you know that God has a plan for every aspect of our lives? With our ears... He wants us to be set apart to hear and understand the Word of God. Amen? To hear the Word of God. Blood, sanctification, redemption. Also redeeming us from the garbage we've heard before, but sanctifying us that we might clearly understand and hear His Word. His thumb to be able to do the work of God in a sanctified and set apart way. And then on His toe to be able to walk in the fullness of His Holy Spirit. To walk with God. So the ear to be able to hear Thumb to be able to do the work, and toe to be able to walk with Him in a way that we've been called. So who's called? Who's called? Raise your hand if you're called. You're called. There it is. All right. God bless you guys. You're all called. So now, how are we employed for ministry? How are we empowered for ministry? Aaron and his sons are called, and they're empowered for ministry by what? They stood there. They brought them the clothing, and they put it on them. They stood there, and they were washed as they stood there. They didn't do anything. When they were washed, they weren't washing themselves. They stood there. They were brought to the door of salvation. They were brought to the place of cleansing. It was all done by somebody outside of themselves. Then they were clothed, again, standing there, doing nothing, being clothed. Again, it's not the work you've done for Him, but it's the work He does for you, He does in you, and He wants to do through you. So who empowers you to do ministry? It's not how prepared you are. It's not how hard you work. It's not how much you study. It's not you getting to know the Bible by memory so that you can regurgitate it back to your pastor. He's, he's equipping you that you might be used, but understand, it's not waiting till you're perfectly equipped. That's a mistake that many people make. You're called, empowered, not by what you do, by what He has done for you. Verse 22. We're going to look at a wave offering. I want you to see this. You shall also take the fat of the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat on them and the right thigh for it is a, a ram of consecration one loaf of bread one cake made with oil one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the lord and you should put all these things in the hands of aaron and his sons and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the lord now, I want you to see this. Verse 25. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So even when they made sacrifice, where did the sacrifice come from? Did they go out and hunt down the animal? Did they go out and slay the... It says they stood there and the, the, uh, the things for the offering were put into their hands. You know what I believe this is a picture of? That if you will step out and respond to God's calling on your life, He will be the one that will equip you. Too often, we think that He calls the equipped. The, it's the exact opposite. He equips the called. You go out and step out and be faithful, and God will equip you when it's time. And you know what story I thought about when I thought about this? I thought about David and Goliath. You know, Goliath, anywhere from 9.5 feet to 11 feet tall, between 625 and 750 pounds, depending on how you measure cubits, okay? So, can you imagine 11 foot 750? That would make, like, 
I mean, like Shaq looked like Danny DeVito. You know what I mean? I mean, talking huge, right? 11 foot 750. He comes down to the Valley of Elah 40 days and 40 nights and you know, 11 foot 750, how loud that guy was walking down the hill? And you know what? He was so big that his coat weighed over 200 pounds. The coat that he wore of armor weighed over... I mean, that, if they put that on me, I'd be, laying on the, I'd be flat on the ground. This guy was yoked. He was so big that he had a weaver's beam with a 30-pound spearhead on the end of it. 30 pounds. Shot putters that weigh 16 pounds, they're stoked that, you know, the strongest men in the world, they can throw a 16-pound shot put like 70 feet, they're winning gold medals and stuff, right? He's got a weaver's beam with a 30-pound spearhead on the end of it. 200 pounds of, of metal. And he goes walking down, and he says, I defy the armies of Israel. You send out your champion, and if I defeat your champion, you serve us. But if your champion defeats me, then we will serve you. And every time he came down to that valley, <laughs> all the Israelites went, right? They, uh, and they all ran away. Why? Because they saw 11 foot 750. They said, dude, that guy will smoke us. I'm not equipped, right? I'm going to have to go and take some steroids, hit the weights, and come back in a couple years. There's no way, right? I'm not equipped enough. I can't fight this battle. And then David comes along, and we know he's a, he's a shepherd boy, and he's only there because his dad sends him to bring some cheese to his brothers. It's in the Bible. Read it. It's in 1 Samuel. And he shows up bringing, you know, he's the milkman, basically. He's bringing cheese to his brothers, and he gets there, and 11 foot 750 is walking down to the bottom of this valley. And he's like, now, wait a minute. Who's this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? You know, they saw him as being a guy that was too big to fight, and he saw him as a guy that was too big to miss. You know, they said, we can't hit that guy, he's too big. He said, man, that guy's too big, how could you miss him, right? And so David was called by God, and here's what's awesome to me, is he goes in and Saul tries to put the armor on him. And he's like, this armor's not going to fit me. I can't go by someone else's calling. I just know God's called me, and I'm going down, and I'm going to fight him. And here's why. He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a little kid. He saw a man against Almighty God and the creator of the universe. And he realized, if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, this is what's awesome to me, and this is where this putting the sacrifice in their hand comes in. As he walked down to the bottom of the Valley of Elah, it was only when he got down to the bottom, and, you know, Goliath is saying, what do you send out, a, a kid after me? A, you know, I'm going to fight me with sticks. What is this you're sending out here to fight with me? It's only when he got down to the bottom of the valley that he grabbed the five stones. It wasn't until he walked all that made that long walk, all he had was the slingshot in his hand, and when he got down to the bottom, he reached down and he picked up five smooth stones. Now, it's interesting to me, people say, well, that's not much faith. Why do you pick up five stones? Well, in those days, if you killed somebody, you automatically assumed you were going to have to fight their whole family. And Goliath had four brothers. So you want to talk about faith. David's picking up five stones, going, okay, one for Goliath. And how many brothers has he got? One, two, three, four, right? Ready to go. But here's the thing. He went because he was called, not because he was equipped. He wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the most yoked guy. He wasn't the guy with the greatest armor or the greatest fighting skills. If they had odds in Vegas on Goliath versus David, it would be pretty astronomical. But what David saw was, you know what? God's calling, I'm going. And it's God's business what he does. God's in control. I trust him. I'm going. And what an awesome picture. As we know what happened, you heard David throws that rock and boom, hits him in the one spot that's not covered and he falls. I mean, can you imagine 11 foot 750 hitting the dirt? I, mean, I imagine dust being in the sky. And it says in the Bible that he takes his sword out and he cuts Goliath's head off and he's holding his head up when the dust clears. And, can, and guess what happened? All the Philistines ran away. Why? Because of the faithfulness of one young guy who said, I trust God. I'm going. 
And you know what? I believe God can do the same thing in your school, in your workplace, in, in Santa Cruz County. And we just have people say, you know what, Lord, I trust you. And it may seem overwhelming to be in such a dark place, but God, I know you're bigger than this. I don't look at how dark the county is. I look at how great our God is. Amen? And you know what? If we can have people like David. And so the meat and the bread is what he put into their hands. The meat of the word and the bread of life. Amen? We're to feed people the meat of the word. That's what I'm doing right now. It's sharing with you guys the meat and the truth of the word of God. And who's the bread of life? It's Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not preparing to minister. It's daring to minister. Be, don't, don't be shy. Trust God. He's faithful. Amen? And you know what? Burden is the spawning ground of a calling. You know, have this heart. God used me today. Not, ministry is not about what you can do, but what God will do through you if you'll just be available. We're almost done. Verse 26. Then you shall take the, the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And, for, and from the ram of consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of the peace offerings, that is, that their heave offering to the Lord. So not only does God provide for us in ministry, He provides for us through ministry. What happens when they went and made the sacrifice? They took a portion of it, and that's how they fed their family. I believe that if we walk in the center of God's will, we don't have to worry about the bills. God will take care of it. Amen? Now, I'm not a name it and claim it and grab it and blab it and say Cadillac, 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 and there's one in your driveway. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I believe is if we will just trust God and follow Him wholeheartedly in ministry, know that He'll take care of us. Amen? He's not going to call you out to be used for His glory and then not take care of your basic needs. Aaron and her, when you make sacrifice, when this one sacrifice, you take home Aaron... Take home to your sons this portion of the lamb. It's for you to eat. So the ministry, God provides for us to minister, but he also provides for us through the ministry. Verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. Now it's interesting. I want you guys to see this. The garments are passed down from the father to the son. My character will have an impact on my children. Now I want to say this. Kids have their own, it's not 100% the answer, because you can be the most godly parents in the world, and your kids can still grow up and not serve the Lord, because they have free will. You cannot force your kids to love God. But here's what we can do. You can raise them in a godly home. If I want my daughter Ashley to be someone who prays, then I need to be a dad who prays. Amen? If I want my son Johnny to be someone who loves to worship, then I need to be someone who loves to worship. If I want my son David to, to be somebody who loves the Word, then I need to be somebody who loves the Word. And if I want my youngest son Mark to be a young man of character, then I need to be a dad who has character. You know what? The, the, these garments are being passed down from father to son, and the, the way I live my life will be passed down from me to my children. And so it's so important that we live godly lives before our kids. That's what godly character is. That the son, be, verse 30, that son who becomes priest in his place shall be put on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. You shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and sanctify them, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. 
And if any flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Aaron and his sons were to minister to the Lord on behalf of others and, and to others on behalf of the Lord, but they're also to feed on the meat and bread themselves. Not only were they to take the meat of God's word and minister it to others, they're supposed to feed on it themselves. You know, we, ministry, it's a mistake when people think, well, somehow I've arrived. I've been a Christian long enough. I don't need to study. If you don't spend intimate time with God and feed yourself, you'll have no strength to minister and feed others. And that's what he's saying here that they're called to do. Verse 35, Then you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. You shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it and sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. You know what? Not only is the man to be consecrated, but so are the tools that he uses to minister to others. You know what? Is your house consecrated to the Lord? Is your cubicle at work consecrated to the Lord? Is your, you know, even, you know, the guitar that you use, is it consecrated to the Lord? Are the gifts that you have consecrated to the Lord? Not only should we be consecrated, but the gifts He's given us. You know, there are gifts that God gives us. I know many people say, you know, God gave me the gift of playing guitar, and I've committed my heart, I'm only going to play worship. Because God has given me that gift and I've consecrated it unto Him. It's only for Him that I'm going to do it. There are other people that whatever gifts you have, you say, Lord, I'm going to use this for you. I'm not going to use it for me. I'm not going to use it for my fame or my wealth. I'm going to use it for your glory. So it's not only consecrating the man, but consecrating the gifts of the man. Thank you for your patience. We're almost done. Verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs on the first day, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb you shall one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. You shall offer it with its grain offering and the drink offering as, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So, we see who's called and we see who empowers us, but then how do we respond when we've been called? Here's how we respond. We dare to minister. We step out in faith. But then we must come before the Lord for intimate fellowship morning and evening. You know what? I'm not going to have you raise your hands. Everybody, just look at me for one second. How many of you guys this morning, don't answer, but how many of you guys this morning spent time with the Lord before you went to work or school or wherever you went? Think about it. How many of you got up this morning and started your day with Him? You know what? That's how we respond to calling. It's not that we are equipped so that we can be called, but once we've been called, we need to be equipped. And He will equip us. He will empower us. He will strengthen us. He'll move through us by the power of His Holy Spirit. But you know what? We desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And as you can probably tell, I eat, you know, on a regular basis. And I make sure that, you know, if my stomach's grumbling, I get some food. But you know what? Spiritually, we'll be struggling. We'll wonder why. And it's because we haven't fed ourselves. And here it says, you burn a lamb every morning and you burn a lamb every night. You make a sacrifice to me every morning and every night continually. And you know what? As Christians, I believe that it's so important that we begin our day with the Lord. Wake up in the morning. Spend time in prayer. Pray for the people you work with by name. Pray for your mission field by name. Pray for opportunities to share your faith. You know what happens when you spend time with the Lord in the morning? You walk out your door with an eternal perspective. You, you know, the guy cuts you off on the freeway? Pray for him. 
right? Because you're so focused on heavenly things. But if you wake up in the morning and you're in a rush and you go take your shower and, you know, you got to get the kids to school and I got to get to work and you get out the door and, you just, ah, and you're uptight and intense and, and before you know it, your testimony's blown and you miss ministry opportunities, we got to start the day with Him. And I also believe it's important to end the day with Him because it's, we can pray then for all the things that have happened that day, all the people we've had a chance to share with, and also just to prepare our hearts as we go to sleep. I don't know about many of you, but sometimes attacks come as we're sleeping because the enemy never sleeps. Verse 43, And then I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. What sanctifies something? What sets something apart? What set the tabernacle apart? The Shekinah glory not as Raul Reese would say, the Chicano glory, but the Shekinah glory of Almighty God, His presence is what made that place sanctified. What sanctifies you and me? What sets you and me apart? The presence of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit being in us and being upon us. That's how you're sanctified. That's how you're set apart. Verse 44, So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You know what? The Lord dwells among those consecrated to him, ministering to him before we minister for him. Again, are you consecrated to the Lord? How about your house? How about your marriage? How about your family? How about your kids? Worship team will come on up. So, Who's called? We asked this question in the beginning. Who's called? We all are. Amen? He saved you. He's called you. You're called. Now what? Who empowers us once we know that we're called to do the work of the ministry? The Lord does. Not by what the Lord does with you and for you. Not by what you've done for Him. And then lastly, how do we respond to the calling? Number one, in simple obedience. We step out in faith. Remember, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If you've got something that you care about, that's typically the Lord working in your heart. If you're spending time in His presence, you begin to care. You know what? I've told you this before. I had a burden for teenagers. People thought I was sick, okay? But, you know, Vince has got it too. He's got the same illness I had. But you know what? I love teenagers. And I'd be driving down the road and I'd jump out of my car and just go talk to teenagers because I had a burden for them. And a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. So when that burden comes, step out. And then remember... Daring to do ministry like David with Goliath. Begin by spending intimate time with him and watch what God will do. He'll give you an eternal focus. Your calling will become greater and greater and he'll give you the faith to respond in obedience. Our God's called us, you guys. I don't want to get to heaven and regret that I didn't do more for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're all called. Lord, that we've been saved. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, then that's not true. It's not until we've given our lives to you, until we've come to that door, that we realize our need for our Lord and our Savior. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just indwell us with your Spirit. You would guide and lead and direct our lives. We'd be responsive to the calling you've placed upon us. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name we pray. All God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song. Mm-hmm.